0: Our scripture passage for today is found in the book of Judges, chapter 8, verses 1 through 32. If you have a Bible, please turn and read along as I read aloud from the Word of God. It's a rather lengthy account. It's the account following Gideon's uh, defeat of the Midianites with 300 men against an army of thousands and ten thousands. And they were now chasing the Gideonites. Now the Ephraimites asked Gideon, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And they criticized him sharply. But he answered them, what have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes greater than the full grape harvest of Abiezer? God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. What was I able to do compared to this? At this, their resentment against him subsided. Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted yet keeping up the pursuit, came to the Jordan and crossed it. He said to the men of Succoth, Give my troops some bread, they are worn out, and I am still pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the officials of Succoth said, Do you already have the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna in your possession? Why should we give bread to your troops? Then Gideon replied, just for that, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars. From there he went up to Peniel and made the same request of them, but they answered as the men of Succoth had. So he said to the men of Peniel, when I return in triumph, I will tear down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor with a force of about 15,000 men, all that were left of the armies of the eastern peoples. 120,000 swordsmen had fallen. Gideon went up by the route of the nomads east of Noba and Jogbeha and fell upon the unsuspecting army. Ziba and Zalmunna, the two kings of Midian, fled, but he pursued them and captured them, routing their entire army. Gideon, son of Joash, then returned from the battle by the pass of Heres. He caught a young man of Succoth and questioned him, and the young man wrote down for him the names of the seventy seven officials of Succoth, the leaders of the town. Then Gideon came and said to the men of Succoth, Here are Zeba and Zalmunna, about whom you taunted me by saying, <coughs> Do you already have the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna in your possession? Why should we give bread to your exhausted men? <coughs> He took the elders of the town and taught the men of Succoth a lesson by punishing them with desert thorns and briars. He also pulled down the tower of Peniel and killed the men of the town. Then he asked Zeban and Zalmunna, What kind of men did you kill at Tabor? Men like you, they answered, each one with the bearing of a prince. <coughs> Gideon replied, Those were my brothers, the sons of my own mother. As surely as the Lord lives, if you had spared their lives, I would not kill you. Turning to Jether, his oldest son, he said, Kill them. But Jethar did not draw his sword because he was only a boy and was afraid. Zeban and Zalmunna said, Come do it yourself. As is the man, so is his strength. So Gideon stepped forward and killed them and took the ornaments off their camels' necks. The Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you, your son and your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do have one request that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. They answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment and each man threw a ring from his plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on their camel's neck. That's the ornaments weighed about. According to the notes, about 43 pounds. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land enjoyed peace 40 years. <clears throat> Jerabbaal, son of Joash, went back home to live. He had 70 sons of his own, for he had many wives. His concubine, who lived in Shechem, also bore him a son, whom he named Abimelech. Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age, and was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. Let us pray. Dear Lord, it is a joy to come to your word and to read of the glorious accounts which you give to us. of the boldness and the courage of men and women throughout the pages of history as revealed to us in Scripture. We're being obedient to you and taking many very scary, risky steps of faith because they knew that you were calling upon them to do so. We pray as we examine this incident, these incidents, this part of the life of Gideon today that you would give us wisdom that our lives Might grow in resemblance to our Savior Jesus Christ That we might be men and women and young people of faith before you I pray that my words would be faithful and in keeping with your word because it is alone is holy and just and true Having the power through your powerful working to change human lives in Jesus name. Amen Of all the qualities and excitement in the life of Gideon Perhaps the most interesting part of his life is revealed after the fabulous route in which he and his band of 300 went up against the hordes of the Midianites, wielding pitchers, trumpets, and torches at night in a surprise attack, which caused the vast encampment of the Midianites to be frightened, shall we say, quite literally to death, so that they stood up and started fighting and killing one another. Following that route, Gideon and his men attacked them into the next day as they scattered and fled. This latter part of the battle, summary of the rest of Gideon's life, rarely gets much attention. But we benefit from it by looking at this time to see what we can learn about godly leadership. And So let us look and consider this passage regarding leadership in order to learn what leadership involves the first thing that we see in our passage is Gideon seeking allies it strikes us at the beginning of chapter 8 gideon called out the men of naphtali asher and manasseh judges 7:23 it says israelites from naphtali asher and manasseh were called out and they pursued the midianites gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of ephraim saying come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth-Bara. So all the men of Ephraim were called out and they took the waters of the Jordan as far as beth <clears throat> Any great work requires allies to accomplish it. Now, as you consider Gideon, when he started out, he started out with a very small number of allies, 300 men. <clears throat> but as we consider wars, for instance, world wars, one and two, as examples. Both sides in both wars had numerous allies as well as numerous enemies. We see the situation in Kosovo. In the midst of this war, the Yugoslavians are looking to ally themselves with Russia. The people of Kosovo are here in this country thanking our president and others in our country for what we're doing. Times of great stress. In times of great stress, Leadership requires allies. In order to accomplish great things, allies are necessary. I read a large part of a book last year that was fascinating, that was talking about the development of radar and all of the many things that this had uh, uh, affected, from the microwave to the devices that we see on an ongoing basis that are used to, uh, to bomb in Albania, distance sensing, all of these sorts of things. Well, in World War II, the British had gotten to a point where they were feeling that the only thing that would bring a victory out of that war was to involve the United States. And so in their councils of war, what they decided to do was to send a black box. Now, I had read a fair amount of history about the Second World War and read uh, a biography of Winston Churchill that is extensive. Never heard anything about this story, but apparently they decided to send a black box over to this country on a well-guarded ship, a big black wooden box, but they decided they needed holes all through the box because if the box fell into enemy hands or if there was a problem, they wanted to be able to sink it to the bottom of the ocean as fast as possible. Does this box contained their military explorations and secrets. One of the things that it included in it was their preliminary prototype radar devices. And as this book goes along, it reveals how radar was in reality one of the one of the major uh, signal events of the war, which led to the the. Uh, the Allies, having success in, the, in World War II. He talked about the sinking of tonnage of shipping vessels because nobody could detect where the submarines were, and the U-boats were going around sinking hundreds of thousands of tons of marine uh, ships. <clears throat> so the British decided at this point that the best way to get us in on their side was to take a huge gamble, so they put all their secrets in this box, and they sent it over to our country. And <clears throat> they were trying to decide what to do with it. Some of them said, well, we think we should only reveal a few of these secrets at a time and see if the U.S. will reveal secrets to us that will be helpful to us. And others of them, the council that prevailed was the council that said, no, we are in a desperate situation. We opened the box. We let them see it all, because we are not playing penny games here. Instead, we are playing for keeps, and we're willing to show it to all of them. We're willing to show all of it to them, because by doing so, we may gain them on our side. And that's indeed what happened. It's a fascinating, you know, that was not the turning point, obviously, of World War II, but it was an incident by which they gambled a great deal because these, these things that they had invented uh, were really in part the means of, of winning the war. And if we had come in on the other side, we could have taken that knowledge with us in on the other side. And so you and I have to understand <clears throat> that allies are crucial in any great work. What we are involved in as Christians within the church and our relationship to the world is a great work. And it's also warfare. We cannot ever forget that, that there is a war that is constant and ongoing, war of spiritual forces between righteousness and unrighteousness, the forces of God and the forces of evil. And people who want to achieve much seek to increase their accomplishments <coughs> by bringing other people into the mix. So those who would be mighty leaders will not look to alienate people, but seek the help of others, just as Gideon did. the second thing that we see from Gideon is related to seeking allies and making allies is the issue of making friends. How did Gideon do this? Not only did he ask these men to come and help fight with him, but when they said, huh, you didn't ask us before, and the insults were flying, Gideon demonstrated humility and made peace in order to encourage unity. They said, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when, when you went to fight Midian? And they criticized him sharply. But he inc- answered them, what have I accomplished compared to you? <clears throat> aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of Abiezer? In other words, aren't your grapes, isn't, aren't you much better and more, more glorious people than I and my people? <clears throat> God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. What was I able to do compared to you? At this, we see that he was effectual. The resentment against him subsided. As we look at the situation, we say, that really was not the way it was. Gideon is the man, the hero, the victor of this hour. And yet here we find him saying, what have I done? You've done ever so much more. And as a result of his humility in this situation, He not only had allies, but he had allies who were of like mind with him. You and I need to consider this as we deal with other people. Because there are countless times when the question comes up, who's going to get the credit? (coughs) We do not need to be concerned about getting the credit. It does not hurt us any in the course of things that other people get praise Or even that we are the ones who bring the praise to them. Because by doing so, we not only have allies, but also friends. (coughs) Gideon not only (coughs) sought allies and made friends, he also marked his enemies. (coughs) Having asked people to be his allies who refused, when they mocked him and his fighting ability, he marked them out and said, this is a turning point in our relationship. Even as he did, he said, when I come back, you will be punished. You will suffer for this. <laughs> we have examples of this throughout scripture. We have example of David marking Joab and Shimei to his successor Solomon in First Kings 2. He says to Solomon, as he has crowned Solomon and said, you are to be king now. <clears throat> now, you, Solomon, yourself know what Joab, son of Zeruiah, did to me. And he talks about the killing of Abner and Amasa, which David was not powerful enough. It's hard to imagine, but it was so, to bring <coughs> Joab to justice for. And then he says further, And remember you have with you Shimei son of Jira, the Benjamite from Baharim, who called down bitter curses on me. <coughs> we see Paul doing this, marking out Demas and Alexander the metalworker. Demas, because he loved this wor- world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. <clears throat> we see John marking Diatrephes in Third John 1. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing. Well, his letter certainly called even more attention to what Diotrephes was doing than if he had come and if... Indeed, he did come and address it individually in person. We tend to think that it is not something to be done as Christians to point out enemies. (coughs) We as Christians have enemies. We know it. Oftentimes we know who they are. We know why they are enemies. (coughs) They are under, frequently they are under the power of the devil If they are truly and rightly our enemies, but oftentimes we make enemies wrongfully out of those who are our spiritual allies, and that is a great tragedy and wrong. Think of how easily these men could have become enemies of Gideon if he had said, well, you lazy bums, (laughs) you weren't willing to fight. You knew we were going up to fight, and you, where were you? You were at home, enjoying those good grapes for which you were so famous it is entirely appropriate to label enemies and to make sure that they do not have the opportunity to do harm to our cause and our goals, to let others know who they are. I was encouraged this past week, and you, you might say, well, that sounds like Nathan. I guess it does, but I was encouraged this past week to hear some news items on uh, American, Family Radio, American, American Family Radio News and they were speaking of a, a prominent man who is considered an evangelical, and in their news items about him, they were speaking about how he was being uh, protested some place he had gone to speak or preach or whatever, specifically because of, and they stated it, because of his position with regard to homosexuality. And I said, I like to hear that. It's not good. But if a person has this position, then it should be explicitly stated this is this man's position. So that everybody can hear it, and we can't, we don't just go along thinking well of these people because at one point they were considered prominent evangelical leaders, but now we know it is on the record. Those who have done wrong or are in the midst of Wrong theology or wrong practice need to be pointed out so that the people say, now, wait a minute here. Either something has changed or things have not been right from the beginning. Gideon also set boundaries and exacted consequences. He drew lines, and when those lines were crossed, he exacted the penalties without backing down. We see this in the example of the officials of Succoth and the men of Peniel, see this, we saw it in our adult Sunday school class this morning as we were looking at the example of what Phineas did. (coughs) The boundary in that passage, also with Midianites, in Numbers chapter 25, in that example, the boundaries had been set. The people were not to uh, get involved sexually with the Midianite women. They were not to participate in the idolatry that was going on through that. And When those boundaries were set, It was clear for all to see, and a leader in the community crossed the boundaries. Phineas, as a defender of the righteousness of God, went and killed the man. A dramatic response, and yet the Lord spoke explicitly of the way in which he would bless Phineas through this. This is what Gideon did with the officials of Succoth and the men of the Nile. This is what we see in the example of Peter and Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. This is what we see in the example of Paul and the magistrates who had beaten him in Silas. That these, This is the situation. These are the consequences. And stood up to see that the consequences were meted out to those who had broken the rules. <clears throat> Leaders must be people of the word, willing to recognize right and wrong, and where they have authority to wield it against what is wrong and evil. Think about this when you are an authority. Being an authority should never be an excuse for seeking popularity. Leaders of our country seem to mold their courses to public opinion polls. True leaders set their courses according to their own personal guidelines, in most circumstances and most decisions. They let people know what course they will take, and when it comes time to take that course, that is the course that you will find them taking. A leader must keep order, and when he or she has set down the law, (coughs) he must uphold it when it is broken, punishing those who have broken the law, whether this is in the home, (coughs) at the workplace, at the school, or in government. Leaders also, as we see from the example of Gideon, (coughs) do the hard and unpleasant work. We see Gideon and his men doing this work despite exhaustion. This is why he asked for bread from the men of Succoth and Peniel. <clears throat> refreshment, food, food, we need food. And yet, in the midst of this exhaustion, they continued to pursue the enemy. <clears throat> this is the point at which Gideon and his soldiers were exhausted. This is the point at which we oftentimes can find ourselves. There is no benefit or pride to be gained from being at the point of exhaustion. When this is our constant state, then we are not acting wisely. But there are times and periods when in order to pursue God's goals, we will be in this state, and during those times we must not stop but continue to press on. Godly leaders seek relief, as Gideon and his men did. Regardless of whether or not they get it, they press on towards the goal and encourage their followers to pursue the enemy while the time is ripe. Not only did Gideon and his men press on despite exhaustion, doing the hard and unpleasant work Gideon, we find him refusing to avoid unpopular actions. Gideon was in the midst of doing the will of God, without concern for the judgment of the present or of the judgment of history. He was only concerned with God's judgment. And so he hunted down and slaughtered 150,000. We see this as Christ threw the men out of the temple the money changers and those who are selling things. So this is an example where people have a lot of problems. This may be one of the issues of what Christ did in the New Testament that people are most likely to have a problem with and feel that there is something wrong with that. <clears throat> and yet as we look, as we have been in the adult Sunday school class, at the, the, the immediate and violent judgment that was taken against people who were disobeying God, uh, driving people out of the temple is much less violent. The problem is not with violence. The problem is, in our day and age, <clears throat> that we so readily accept ungodliness and sinfulness and do not have a view, oftentimes do not have a view, which allows us to be accepting towards the proper force that is required to resolve the disobedience or the (coughs) law-breaking. Which doesn't mean, I'm certainly not suggesting that the capital punishment is the response to uh, anything that goes wrong. (coughs) Nevertheless, I think we see this in the home in a day and age in which spanking is (coughs) the way the world responds to it. Gideon also stepped in to take on those actions others were afraid or didn't have the stomach to do. When he told Jether, his oldest son, to kill Ziba and Zalmunna, and Jether was a young man (coughs) and he was afraid to do it, Gideon stepped in and took care of it. I think this not only shows us that we need to be willing to step in and do things that other people do not have the stomach to do, it also shows us <clears throat> not to be surprised if people around us don't have the stomach to do what's necessary in certain situations. Not only not to be surprised, not to feel badly against them for it, and not only that, not to say, well, if he's not willing to do this, then maybe we shouldn't do it. We need to have a proper response in situations like these. We need to expect that some people will be unwilling to carry out the proper response But need to be so convinced of what is right ourselves, if it is indeed right, that we are willing to carry it out despite the way in which we feel people around us may respond with horror or not feeling comfortable with it. We see Gideon as well refusing adulation and worship. He refused to take the place which he said the Lord should hold. The people wished to make him king, and his family, the royal family. They said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. As leaders in any situation that we're involved in, we must always remember this. that there will be circumstances from time to time, when it's possible for us to have done things right or the situation have turned out right, so that we get a lot of praise. What should our response be? What was the response of Gideon's? No, you forget yourselves. God is the ruler. I am not and cannot be. Which is to say, this victory is a result of him, not of me. We see the same sort of thing in George Washington. The people wanted him to be king, and he refused. You and I must consider what is involved when we receive praise. We see to it that the Lord is the one who gets the credit. We see Gideon also at the end of this passage, failing the people. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in over his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. He led them into sin, <clears throat> which she had taken them out of through God's power. What does this remind us? It reminds us men are fallible, God alone is infallible. In the midst of whatever position we're in, we must keep this view in the forefront of our minds He is the one to receive the honor and glory, He is the leader of all leaders, <clears throat> He is the one whom we must obey. And only he cannot fail. Every other leader can and will, but only God cannot. Let us pray. Dear Father, we pray that you would teach us lessons about living our lives in godly ways. Keep us, teach us lessons about being bold. Teach us lessons about doing what is right and not what is popular. Teach us these lessons from the life of Gideon so that we might honor you in our lives and seek first and foremost and always that you be pleased and not that those around us be pleased by what we do. Help us to be able to have this view within us, which we see exhibited so wonderfully in the life of Christ, who was willing to submit to the will of you his Father, (coughs) despite the terrible nature of it, We pray that we would consider these things, that we would learn from your word. In Jesus' name, amen.